0: Let's uh, turn to our our scripture reading this morning. If you uh, have your bulletin, it's over on page three. We're actually finishing up our study of the book of Numbers uh, this morning. Next week, we're going to start our fall sermon series. It's a sermon series we're entitling "The Church and All Her Servants." Uh, the church and all her servants. We're going to dive into the scriptures looking at what the church of Christ is all about uh, and especially how God calls and equips his people uh, to be servants uh, in the midst of the church and so that's going to be our, our study for the fall we we'll look forward to that. Uh, but today an important uh, finish to the book of Numbers, not only uh, wrapping up uh, the book itself but also seeing how it ties in to God's uh, larger story uh, in scripture. So <clears throat> we're going to do it just using this this brief passage but <clears throat> i trust will be uh, be an encouragement remember where numbers has has uh, taken us it's those days when the people of god are wandering in the wilderness for 40 years that they're headed to the promised land uh, and now uh, they arrive just on the on the border of the promised land and god gives them instruction about what is to be next uh, and let's read together so numbers 33 15 to 56 <clears throat> And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, <clears throat> When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their, all their figured stones, and destroy all their metal images, and demolish all their high places." And you shall take possession of the land and settle in it. For I have given uh, given the land to you to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your clans. To a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance. To a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance. Whatever the lot falls for anyone, that shall be his. According to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you... Then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They shall trouble you in the land where you dwell, and I will do to you as I thought to do to them. Let's pray for God's word. Lord, we pray that you would show us the glory of what you have done and what you are yet doing the great kingdom that you are creating in Christ. So strengthen us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So have you ever been reading through a book of scripture and just kind of scratched your head a bit wondering, okay, how does this all fit together? And maybe you're reading the book of Judges, or maybe it's Jeremiah, or Second Kings, and, and, and maybe you're reading and you, you come across a familiar story here and there, but you, you get this sense, there's got to be a little bit more. I'm not quite sure how, how this story fits in with everything else, and I'm not quite sure how it has anything to do with me. Um, Or maybe you're someone who hasn't read any of those books, but you feel a bit intimidated by even trying. Uh, How how do I understand Jeremiah or Judges, and and what does it have to do uh, with me? Well, believe it or not, uh, Numbers 33 actually helps us uh, in a very, very powerful way. It's a short passage, uh, but it wonderfully ties together uh, the bigger story that God is telling and that really is is the key to understanding both this passage and really all of your bible to realize that it is a story god's story that he's telling in real life the, the, the great true story that he's writing from creation all the way uh, to the end uh, it's it's more than just your bible as uh, a, a series of fables you know aesop's fables be humble be kind right you probably have this sense the bible's got to be more than that right Moses is humble, be humble like Moses. Or Joshua, he needed to be brave, you should be brave too. Okay, that's good, but it's got to be more than that, right? And indeed it is. Uh, you know, the Bible is God's great story. Uh, and to understand it uh, as a whole helps you understand the little pieces individually, and it helps you understand where you fit in. And so take our passage for uh, for uh, as an example. So it says in our passage that, Uh, that God's people are to drive the inhabitants out of the land and smash all their idol statues. Okay? What does that have to do with me? Now, my my neighbor uh, used to have all kinds of little Buddha statues in the front of his lawn. What should I do? Should I drive him out of the neighborhood and smash all the statues with my sledgehammer? Most of you would probably counsel me not to do that. But why? God says it right here. How do we fit into the story? It helps us understand how we, uh, how we should uh, apply the Bible and how we should not apply the Bible. And so to do that, we, we start here, but we'll see, see that quickly our passage ties us in to the rest of where the Bible has gone and where it will yet go. So let's start with our passage, but we'll quickly start to tie in the rest of the story. So we we'll begin with our passage, in what we could call the Canaan calling. Uh, the Canaan calling. So here's God's people. Verse 50 tells us where they are. Uh, they're right along the Jordan River, right opposite Jericho, which means they're uh, they're on the border of the Promised Land, not yet in it. Right, this land that God had promised uh, to Abraham generations before, that He was going to give to uh, to their to His family, His descendants. That family now, a whole nation. And where God's people have been headed for now 40 years and they're about to about to cross in. In fact, that's the very next uh, verse that tells us, verse 51, that the next action is going to be they're going to cross the Jordan and go in. And God uh, tells them here what they are to do when they arrive, when they cross in. Actually, he tells them in our passage to do three things. Um, <clears throat> one, uh, he tells them they are to take up possession of the land and divide it up. That's uh, that's verse 53. We really talked about that last week, uh, how the land was to be divided up by family and tribe, and every family gets an inheritance, So we, we kind of dealt with that last week. We're going to really talk about, uh, we're two and three, in terms of jobs. So, divide up the land, but they're also, to verse 52, drive out the inheritance, inhabitants of the land, drive out the inhabitants of the land, uh, and third... Uh, Smash, destroy all the idols, the, the the objects of worship and the places of worship uh, that the, the nations set up in the land. Uh, whether it's the stone statues of worship or the hilltop places, the high places, the hilltop shrines that they had. Uh, so God tells them, cross into the land. And as a part of dividing it up, you're going to drive out the inhabitants and you're going to destroy all their objects of false worship. Uh, the promised land, you see, was to be an exclusive place. That only God's people were to dwell there. Right? Drive out all the inhabitants. Only God's people were to dwell there. And it was to be a place where only God is worshipped. Right? Destroy all the objects of false worship. Okay? Exclusive place. Only God's people are there. And only God is worshipped there. Does that sounds like something. Is that a little bit like heaven. Right? Only God's people are there and only God is worshiped there. Ah, now we're starting to tie this into the bigger story. Uh, but actually that's the end of the story. So let's go uh, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves and actually see that this reminds us a little bit of where the story begins. Doesn't this sound a little bit about how about like how God first created the world and created mankind in the garden? Only God's people are there, and only God is worshipped there. Isn't that what the garden was? God creates this special land where, where he dwells. Uh, it's a holy place because he dwells there, and he dwells with his people. And they are to worship him and him alone. And that's how God creates the world and that and that garden as they dwell with him. But of course, you know the story well enough that it doesn't last. Adam and Eve fail to continue to worship God alone in this Holy place with this holy God, that uh, they give their hearts to idols, created things. Right? They they buy into the the lie of the serpent. They give their hearts to the uh, the allure of pride, uh, as symbolized by the forbidden fruit. Uh, they worship things that are not God, and so what what's what's the result? They're kicked out of this holy place, this holy land, right? Because this is a place. Where the holy God dwells, and only he is to be worshipped here. And so now, as those who are no longer worship him alone, are no longer pure and holy, they need to be kicked out. Okay, so you're starting to see that Numbers 33 is this little picture of, uh, of, of Eden. That's what the promised land of Canaan is going to be. As, they, as Israel crosses into the land, they are to, to create this, this echo of Eden. Uh, drive out the inhabitants, get rid of all false worship. So it's a place where only God's people dwell and only God is worshipped because God is to be there among them. It's this echo of what of what Eden is. Um, and and uh, on the banks of the Jordan, right, the land is not yet holy because there are inhabitants of the land who worship false gods. Uh, and so it's to be a holy land where only God is worshipped. The inhabitants need to be driven off. And the and the false uh, objects of worship need to be uh, need to be smashed. It's it's kind of like uh, Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden, right? Uh, the inhabitants of the land who worship false gods are to be kicked out of the land. Uh, it's a picture of judgment for sin. It's actually a, a judgment for sin that God predicted generations before, when God was talking to Abraham about this land He was going to give them uh, to His descendants. Right? And remember, he pictured to Abraham the same Eden like picture, right? I will be your God, you will be my people, I'll give you this land, right? A, a land where God dwells with his people. God told Abraham that he wasn't going to give it to his family just yet. And one of the reasons he gave for not just yet was because of the people who live there. Now, this is Genesis 15. Uh, he says, the Amorites, the people of the land, well, their iniquity was not yet complete. Uh, in, in, other words, in other words, God was going to be patient with the people of the land. Uh, they, they, were going to, uh, they were going to have generations uh, there where God would be patient with them. Uh, but it turns out, as God had predicted, that they wouldn't turn from their sin uh, and turn to find forgiveness... Uh, And so now here God is, in the days of Numbers and Moses, where their sin has come to the point where God's going to bring judgment upon them and kick them out of his holy land in judgment. Like Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. Uh, And uh, of course, now Israel, who's going to to take up the land, uh, has no room for pride, as if they were better than the inhabitants of the land. Uh, They can't go in and say, we get the land because we're better than everybody else. Uh, This actually was a point that Joshua made uh, just a couple years later, uh, as Joshua is addressing the people in his many ways, repeating some of the things here from Numbers 33. Joshua says, you do remember that your forefathers too worshipped idols. So in other words, Israel is not better. uh, It's God's grace that they've been called to be his people. They can't claim superiority. Uh, that, that they get to dwell in the holy land with a holy God as God's special people. And it's by grace that they, that they are saved. Uh, grace, but grace that calls for a diligence uh, in worshiping God alone in this special land. Which is where the end of our passage comes in and some, some warnings from God. Let's just repeat those, verses 55 and 56. God says, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them uh, whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell, and I will do to you as I thought to do to them. So here's the warning, right? Uh, <laughs> they are to be diligent to carry out this cleansing of the land, uh, and here's the warning if they do not. Actually, it's a two-part warning, right? Part one, if you don't drive the inhabitants out of the land, they will be a snare to you, right? Like like thorns in your eyes and uh, barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. Like a, like a painful, painful snare. Uh, we actually got a picture of this a couple weeks ago when we studied that account of, of Phineas and the sin of God's people. Do you remember that? Uh, remember what happened there? It was the neighboring nation who was right nearby... And there were the, the God's people who started messing around with the Moabite women that quickly led to them worshiping the Moabite idols, uh, right? It's that nations right by them, they were a snare to Israel. And now here God's basically warning, that's what's going to happen in the land if you're not careful to drive out the inhabitants. They'll be like a thorn in your side. Uh, they'll ensnare you, not only in immorality, but in worship of ...of false gods. So God says, drive out the people from the Holy Land. That's part one of the warning. Uh, And part two is, because if you don't, uh, there'll be a snare to you. And part two of the warning is verse 56. If you don't drive them out, I will do to you as I thought to do to them. You get the idea? If you don't drive them out of the land, I will drive you out of the land. Right? Uh, Can you start to understand... Why this is, and how this fits into God's larger plan, right? The plan for the land uh, was was to be this picture of Eden, right? It's to be God's holy land, holy place where God Himself dwells, where His people worship Him and Him alone. Uh, and so, if they uh, if they don't honor that that holy place, they allow others to stay, and they get ensnared with their gods. Uh, well, then it is it, it violates God's God's plan. It's no longer holy, and God's people need to be driven out just like Adam and Eve were driven out, right? And so there's this warning. Uh, If you don't create it to be this holy land like like I intended to be, then I will drive you from it. I will cast you you from it. Starting to see how this forms a story, right? The story that, that began all the way back in the beginning. God creating the world and He made it good. But you see its goodness there in Eden, uh, right—a holy place where this this holy God dwells with His people. His people are there and they worship Him alone. That's Eden, but Eden is lost as God's people worship false gods. They're kicked out, and then God with Abraham, as it were, starts again—a uh, a new family. Uh, and this family, this people. Uh, is to is to start to reclaim uh, by God's grace what was lost in the fall uh, A people who were exclusively the lord's who would dwell with him uh, in a holy land uh, and there and there is there is where the numbers 30, 33 commands come in uh, but it also serves so that's the story so far but it also serves as this little preview of what's to come this is how you understand the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, they're, what they're to do in clearing the land, and what's going to happen if they don't do it. All right, so story so far. Now let's go, point number two, uh, to the rest of the Old Testament. The story continues what we could call the land gained and lost. Now, we haven't forgotten. Uh, we got to get eventually to us and where we fit into the story, but we haven't come along yet, so we're not going to get there yet. got to hold on, but we will get there. Okay, Numbers 33, we got where God's people are to be in the days of Moses. What happens next? Well, it's exactly what what Numbers 33 predicts. Uh, The next action book of the Bible is the book of Joshua. And you find that Joshua begins exactly where it's supposed to begin, according to our passage. That the people of God cross the Jordan River. Oh, and they're right there at Jericho. And you read through the book of Joshua, and everything seems to be going wonderfully. Except for a few bumps in the road, generally speaking, God's people obey Numbers 33. As they conquer and drive out the people of the land, as they they destroy the objects of worship, and God's people begin begin to settle, exactly like they're supposed to. Uh, Though the book of Joshua ends, uh, the job's not quite done, and Joshua repeats these these same directives, uh, and the same warnings, he says to them at the end of the book, at the end of his life, Basically, finish the job, otherwise the nations will be a snare to you. Uh, and that's where the book ends. And the book of Judges begins. Uh, the book of Judges, in many ways, is supposed to be the, the cleanup operation. After, after Joshua has, uh, has the, the initial conquest has taken place, not everything is done. And so Judges begins, uh, the people are to finish the job, creating this holy land. But the, But Judges quickly shows us that God's people begin to falter. Uh, they allow the inhabitants of the land to stay. Uh, and, and, and God comes to them. Uh, in the, the angel of the Lord descends. This is Judges 2, I think it is. Uh, and he says, You've allowed them to stay. And now they will be a snare to you. And in many ways, that's, if you read through Judges, exactly what Judges is about. The nations being a snare to God's people. And They rule over them in cruel ways. Sure, it's wonderful God raises up these mighty heroes, these judges, and they they bring temporary deliverance for God's people. But it never really lasts. The nations always come back to be a snare, and God's people always get caught up in idolatry, and and God's uh, God's people, even God's heroes, more and more start to look like the Canaanites. That can't be good. Uh, So ends the book of Joshua, the days when there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So then the next books of Scripture come along, picking up on that theme of the king. Ah, maybe that's the key Uh, A king after God's own heart who can lead God's people in worshiping him alone uh, in this holy land. And and, and that's where the kings come in. This is 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the introduction of the the kingship to Israel. The first king is not so great. There's Saul. Uh, in fact, one of the main reasons the kingdom is taken away from Saul is he fails to completely drive out and conquer the people of the land, the Midianites. Uh, it's given to another, David, a man after God's own heart. And that's where we really start to see, ah, oh, this seems to be working. Uh, here's a king, uh, he wins great victories over the people of the land. The land is being, uh, is being conquered, and he's beginning to, to establish worship of the true God in him alone. Uh, right, David lays plans for the for the temple to be built. Things are looking pretty good as as Samuel ends, and you get to First Kings, and there is David's David's son Solomon. And you might remember Solomon starts out quite well. Uh, starts out with with creating this place of worship of God alone, where God's presence dwells right among His people, the temple. And Solomon builds this temple, and again, things are looking good, a people who are, who are worshipping God alone in God's land and God's dwelling among them. But then things begin to turn, and they begin to turn with the king himself. You remember, Solomon doesn't end very well. And you might remember what, what really is the snare for Solomon. Well, let me read it from 1 Kings 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Uh, He marries uh, foreign women, even women of the land. And here's what happens. Uh, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. Uh, So the people of the land are allowed to stay, even intermarry with the king. And sure enough, it's a snare to the one who is supposed to leave God's people and worshiping him alone and driving out all false gods. Instead, it's, it's such a snare that he himself begins to worship false gods, even builds high places for, uh, for idols, the very thing that God's people were supposed to smash. And the nation, as, as it goes, the, the nation follows the king, and sure enough, uh, the nation begins to go down from there. You might remember after King Solomon dies, uh, the northern ten tribes break away into the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, and they, they quickly fall into breaking the command's Numbers 33, one of the first things they do in the northern kingdom is set up rival places of worship where they build golden calves as a part of their worship, right? The very kinds of idols that were supposed to be smashed in the land are now being created by God's uh, people. Uh, They're not doing very well in the north. Well, even the southern kingdom falters, too does a little better for a while, but they start to tolerate the high places, and more and more, uh, more and more, uh, idolatry comes into the land. But God is patient, uh, and so he raises up his servants, the prophets, uh, and the prophets, one of their key jobs is to challenge God's people on their sin, their sin of idolatry. That's one of the main themes, uh, their sin of idolatry in the land. And so God raises up prophets like Elijah uh, first and Second Kings, uh, or prophets who get their own books of scripture, think uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, who come to the people of the land, uh, come to God's people, and challenge them for worshiping false gods, among other things. Uh, they challenge them on their immorality and their idol worship, but God's people aren't truly repentant, which is why the prophets very quickly start to mourn Uh, With the warnings of Numbers 33. Remember uh, verse 56 of Numbers 33. Uh, If you don't drive them out of the land, I will drive you out of the land. Which is the very thing the prophets begin to warn about. Unless you stop worshipping these false gods, God is going to exile you. He's going to drive you from the land. And God's prophets warn of that for generation and generation until... God's people not turning from their sin, it actually happens. It starts, 2 Kings, with the northern kingdom. They're conquered by the Assyrians, driven off into exile. God's people kicked out of the land. Uh, It takes a little while for the the southern kingdom, but that falls too. The Babylonians come in and conquer and exile God's people. God kicking his people out of the land. The very warnings that God had talked about uh, came true. The, the land uh, no longer a holy, God no longer worshipped alone, and now God's people are driven from it. Kind of like Adam and Eve were driven from, uh, from the, the, the garden so many years ago. Now you might remember that the Old Testament history ends with some of God's people returning to the land. Right, This is the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, but you see that even in those days, not all of God's people returned. And even then, it's not very impressive. There's still a lot of sin among God's people. Uh, There's still foreign nations that are ruling over them. And and so the prophets begin to look ahead, actually they had for some time, look beyond this little return to something bigger that God would do. Uh, A a bigger fulfillment of the promise. Bigger and better. A a new covenant. A greater work of God, the the prophets begin to look to. Uh, And that's that's where the Old Testament ends. Uh, the story so far. He's starting to see it, right? God's desire to, to have a holy people who would dwell with him and worship him alone in a holy land, right? It, it didn't work with Eden. Uh, that was part of God's plan. It, it, it's pictured in Israel, but there's not fully accomplished. How will it, how will it turn? What's God going to do next? And that's where the New Testament begins. Here we go to, to point three and the story's climax. We're getting closer to us, Uh, Almost there. But first, before we get to us, we have to get to Jesus, which of course is where the New Testament begins. It begins not with a a nation, but with a person. But if you read the Gospels and you kind of look with Old Testament eyes, you start to see that the Gospels present Jesus as one who is kind of a new Israel. Uh, Jesus begins to retrace Israel's steps. God's people and what they did in the Old Testament Jesus begins to, to retrace that very uh, that very root that very that very story Jesus as a baby you might remember goes to Egypt oh and then he comes up up out of Egypt and you find him in the Jordan and you find him in the in the wilderness and you find him being tempted to worship idols Uh and, and so he's retracing Israel's story. Only different than God, Old Testament Israel, Jesus does it all, and he does it perfectly. Right? He, he never uh, bows down to false gods. And indeed, he actually performs some, some pretty mighty acts of cleansing and driving out uh, evil and false worship. You might think of Jesus at the, at the temple driving out the money changers. Right there's God's place of worship and God's presence, and He drives out anything that would be a rival to God, or, or Jesus driving demons uh, out from uh, from the land. These pictures of cleansing, um, Jesus replaying God's story, only He does it perfectly. Right, He's spotless, never worships a false idol. Uh, he is one who fulfills God's commands perfectly. So, if you ever had someone who is to truly deserve uh, the land, to truly inherit the land, you think, Jesus, here is it. Uh, This is the one. Adam and Eve failed. Old Testament Israel failed. Jesus succeeds. He deserves to be in the land and inherit the land perfectly. And yet the story, surprisingly, uh, takes this turn because what do you find with Jesus? At the end of his life, he ends up exiled. Think of the cross. In many ways, what the cross is, is Jesus exiled, right? Jesus driven away uh, from the land of, uh, of good and life, driven away from the presence of God. Uh, Jesus driven into, uh, into uh, that judgment of hell itself because, not his own sin, right? He's spotless, but because of our sin. And there's how, how God fixes the great problem. How is it that an unholy people could ever dwell with a holy God in in his holy land? Well, only if we are made holy. And he does it through his Son. The one who is spotless. The one who who doesn't deserve to be driven off. Jesus at the cross is is exiled bearing our sin. He bears our judgment. He bears uh, what we deserve. So that for us, we can be cleansed, purified. uh, Spotless in his sight. So that God can gather a whole people in in Jesus' name, transformed by Jesus, not just not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles, all who will be children of Abraham by faith, and they're and they're made clean in Jesus, made clean in Christ, and and given this this heavenly citizenship, uh, this land, this homeland that is above. you um, may remember how. How Jesus uh, tells his disciples what's going to happen. That he's not going to stay, but he's going to go, not just die, but also ascend up to his father. And what's he going to do in that? He's going to go to prepare a place for us. A place. We know that in the story. That's, that's where God's people dwell, with him. And Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare that place for you. Not an earthly place. Uh, a, a heavenly one, a heavenly promised land. Which actually was always the point. If we had time it would be great to study Hebrews 11 this morning where it even talks about how Abraham and the other Old Testament saints, they themselves knew that the that the holy place they were ultimately seeking wasn't a piece of real estate in Palestine. It was a heavenly city, a, a heavenly land. They even knew it. That the earthly uh, earthly promised land was but a picture, but a shadow of a of a heavenly promised land. And here's Jesus, having, having borne our sin and, and created and cleansed a people through his death on the cross, he ascends into heaven to prepare a place for us. Uh, and, and the great thing about the Bible is it even gives us the end of the story that God hasn't brought to, to fruition, but he promises he will. Remember where the story ends? Uh, There's the book of Revelation, and Jesus having ascended to prepare a place, and now all of a sudden, the place comes down. The the, the holy land descends, right? Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven from God, and there's this new heaven and this new earth, and sure enough, uh, it's the fulfillment of everything the story has been looking for. Uh, It's King Jesus, and you find him cleansing the land, Right, that all wickedness is driven off and all who, all who don't repent and turn and turn and find forgiveness are driven off out of the land there's nothing impure there and so it's only God's people uh, with him in this holy place well we gotta even read his words think how this is now the fruition will be uh, the great, great consummation of God's promise here's what God says in Revelation 21 behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more nor shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away see how the story comes uh, comes and ends right god's uh, god's initial plan and you get these Uh, pictures of how it was lost in eden and and pictures of what it would be in the promised land it's all fulfilled in the work of christ and then god will bring it to fruition when jesus comes back and brings with him the heavenly city and a a land that's cleansed of all evil where it's only god's people and they worship him alone and it is uh, it is joy in him for all eternity that's the story So now we're able to find our place in the story, right? Uh, Are are we to try to uh, drive people out of our neighborhoods and smash the the statues on their front lawns? No. Why not? That's not our place in the story. Uh, We're in a very, very different place and with with a different calling that fits in with the same story. Not a different story, but a different place in it. So what is our place in the story? Well, first and foremost, our place is uh, to to believe and trust Christ, right? To turn from our sin, from all the idols that all of us worship, right? The false gods that we tend to trust in, uh, to to turn from that and to trust in the Savior. There's there's our only hope, any of us, uh, of being cleansed so that we can have a place in this promised land, all right? So there's the first step. Are, Are you trusting in Christ? are you realizing that your only hope to be welcomed into God's presence and God's land is you need a Savior who is exiled for you, uh, a Savior who took that judgment for you, and you're trusting in him. And if you are trusting in Christ, then you realize uh, that the, your place in the story uh, is to be in the world but not of the world. Right? We're not in the, the heavenly homeland. We're not in the promised land yet. Instead, Jesus says we are to be in the world, but not of the world. In the world. Which means we, we live and we work in and among the people of the land, among whom we once walked. But we live in and amidst the people of the land. And uh, we, don't, we don't seek to try to create some uh, little, little bit of heaven on earth, some little Christian commune where everything else is, is driven out. No, that's not our place in the story. Our place is to be in the world. Uh, happily so, because it's, it allows us to be lights in the world, uh, to point people to Christ uh, like somebody pointed us to Christ in, in the midst of the world. So we're in the world. Uh, in the world, but not of the world, right? Uh, in the world among the Canaanites, but as those who have been transformed, we're not, not to act like the Canaanites. Us. We used to, but in Christ, no longer. Right? We're to live as citizens of heaven. Remember we read this morning from Colossians, uh, Paul uh, putting these pieces together. He says, well, because we're citizens of heaven, because our life is wrapped up, not here uh, with this age, but with, with Christ who is on high, uh, that, that we're to no longer live for, for earthly things. We're to put to death that which is of this age, that which is Canaanite-like. Uh, put it to death, and he gives a nice, a nice list, whether it's immorality or impurity or evil thoughts or covetousness. It's all idolatry, he says. We're uh, anger or wrath or bitterness, all that which, which is more of Canaan and not of heaven. Uh, though we are to live here, we're not to be of here, uh, but instead live as, as citizens of heaven. We, our place in the story is not to pick up sledgehammers and smash our neighbor's statues. Well, if we want to pick up something, maybe it's pick up your Bible, pick up prayer, and, and smash the idols that still remain in your own heart. There's our place in the story. Uh, right? Those places where we're still tempted uh, to worship created things rather than the Creator. right? We pick up the, uh, the tools of the Spirit to smash those idols in our own lives, even as we point others to the Savior, right? Is there there an idol in your life that needs to be smashed? What are the the created things that you're tempted to to give your heart to, to give your devotion to? It's not God, uh, but you're tempted to give your your heart and devotion to it as if it were, as if your life were wrapped up in it. That's the idol that needs to be smashed uh, in this part of the story. Uh, And we can do it with confidence. If you're in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. Uh, You have the very Spirit of Jesus who cleansed the temple. You have the very Spirit of Jesus who rose from the dead. And so you can with confidence uh, take the things, the sword of the Spirit and the weapons of the Spirit, uh, like the Bible and prayer, and smash those idols in your life uh, looking to him. Doing it with joy. Because you know where your life ultimately is. It's not wrapped up with the things of Canaan. It's wrapped up with Christ, the one who has gone to prepare a place for us. And we know that he will come back. And he will come back and he will bring that glorious land with him where we will dwell with him. In that holy place where there is nothing unholy. Where he alone has our hearts and we have him. That's the happy ending. And what a happy ending it is. Let's look to him now in prayer. Father, we do pray. That you would allow your people, strengthened by your word and, and Lord, caught up with who you have, uh, what you have done in Christ, uh, to live as citizens of heaven, uh, to live as those who are here in this world, as, as lights in the world, and yet not of the world, because our, our heavenly citizenship reigns in our hearts. So give us strength to do that. Uh, we pray that you would receive all the glory even as we wait for you. In Jesus' name.